Tom Woods Show, episode 1482. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, by far one of the most dangerous economic misconceptions of the 20th century is that the financial crisis of 2008 was caused by deregulation. Unregulated capitalism led us here. It's dangerous because the next time this happens, they're going to come up with even worse solutions. So we got to get this one right, and you can if you read my free ebook, The Deregulation Boogeyman. Pick it up at regulationmyths.com. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Very glad to be joined once again by our friend Eric July, who is the front man of Backwards, the metal band whose premier album, Veracity, landed them the number one slot on Alternative New Artist on Billboard and number two Heat Seekers album, as well as number five on the hard rock charts. Did extremely well. Eric is a well-known libertarian content creator, co-founder of Being Libertarian, where he's head of multimedia. And of course, he was the MC at the Tom Woods Show 1000th episode live event in Orlando in 2017. All around a great guy, and I thought it's been too darn long since I've talked to him. So we're bringing him back and going to pummel him with questions. Eric, welcome back. Oh, man. I'm glad to be back. I feel like it's been forever, but, you know, we're back at it like always. Well, I was looking at Skype, and it says uh, last chatted over a year ago. Golly. Uh, I thought, that is ridiculous. <laughs> How I <laughs> yeah, let that's this happen. That is totally unacceptable. So I'm very, very glad you're, you're back here. And I asked folks in the, uh, the the group is called the Tom Woods Show Elite, and uh, you can get there through supportinglisteners.com, and I asked them, what should I talk to Eric about? I, as I was telling you, I got 81 responses, so we're going to – I've streamlined them into a, a smaller series of questions. But with you, there are so many topics we could discuss because there's music, and even within music, I mean, you're sort of cross-genre. Right. But then also you're into gaming, you're into comics, you're into politics – I don't even know where to start, man. So <laughs> I'm going to start with my own selfish question. I'm going to start the the host's prerogative. I'm going to ask my own question. Then most of these are generated from the folks. Cool. I did in a previous episode ask you about your musical influences, but that's different from the one I want to know. I want to know what you listen to. And specifically, I want to know what metal bands you listen to and think are any good. Oh, man. Um, well, Certainly, it depends on, you know, what I'm feeling. But when it comes to metal, um, the bands that I I seem to listen to the most are along the metalcore, metalcore line. Certainly, that stuff that was dropping dropping uh, when I first got started, for example, in, in my scene, which is, you know, early 2010s. So guys like, you know, who are from Dallas, like Memphis Mayfire, um, I, I would jam a lot of. But also a lot of the older, you know, metalcore stuff like, you know, Kill Switch Engage as well as, uh, you know, all that remains and, and so forth. So it just really depends. But metal, for sure, never can go wrong with, like, uh, you know, Memphis Mayfire. I like to listen to a lot of hardcore stuff. So, um, you know, Ghost Inside, I can I can jam a lot. Day to Remember, which crosses over kind of into some, like, pop-punky uh, metalcore. Um, so it, it just really depends on, on the mood. Hip hop is a little different because I don't jam as much. I certainly don't jam any current hip hop unless it comes out from really artists that I know I can depend on, such as like Nas or Eminem uh, or something like that. So with I'm really limited and I'm listening to a lot of older stuff 
Uh, Royce the Five Nine is another rapper that I would listen to if he drops anything today. Uh, but I listen to a lot of lot of older stuff, and it just it just really depends on the mood. And I think that's why the band is the way that it is because um, it's not just myself, but certainly being a front man, I listen to so much of 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 everything. You know what I mean? So I go through my stint where it's just nothing but classic more classic rock you know what i mean always i go through my stint where i'm listening to just straight up 80s and 90s r&b so it, it just really depends obviously metalcore and post-hardcore music is my go-to um when i'm just chilling out but it just really depends on what i'm doing and, and, and the mood and i may go a week listening to just uh you know a straight up classic classic rock or i may go a week where i'm just listening to straight up 80s 90s 70s motown uh music who knows all right. Well, that's that's a really good answer. That's a good, nice, detailed <laughs> answer. That's just what I wanted to know. So now, talking about your music, the mm-hmm. the Veracity album you guys had uh, a couple years ago was heavily political. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. for heaven's sake, the track names are pretty right. <laughs> make that pretty obvious. Is that something you intend to continue with, or was that just a one shot deal? That was, uh, it, I guess you could say a little bit of both. Like we're never ditching it, but there was a specific um, motive, I guess, with that album. Uh, just considering the climate that we dropped it in, as well as uh, where we were at with it being our our number one. It was our first album, right? It's backwards first album. So you had to let the people know what you're about. So what I didn't want to do and what the band didn't want to do is get a bunch of people that would jam us that didn't understand where we were at politically, that didn't understand where we were at socially. So now that the first album is out and, we, and it, it saw that much success, everybody knows exactly what to expect from us. So when they see me or Alex or somebody having doing interviews or talking about some of these political points, they know what to expect and it's not throwing anybody off. But I will say that not every single um record will be like that. The upcoming record uh that we have, which is our second album, is a, a tad different. So it does have that that sort of influence where we do have those political and social points but we also have some other things that we wanted to, or more so it was more political this one's more social i would say the upcoming album uh and it's not as it's not as political but it does have those elements that i think a lot of people will expect but even though we had an 18 track album we didn't get to talk about everything that we wanted to talk about and i certainly didn't get to get to dive into some of the social issues that i would have loved to discuss uh but this album we're kind of entertaining a lot of that so expect that, but don't expect it to be like just like Veracity, where pretty much uh, every other song, at least our lead singles, certainly our lead singles, were for the most part, aside from Be Great, were like straight, straight uh, political. And I don't think this album will be like that. So when's it coming out? Ooh, that's uh, what we're trying to work out now. I'd like to get it out by the end of the uh, year, so 2019, end of 2019. But that's not a promise. It may be quarter one. Uh, first year. I want everybody to understand because everybody's been asking me. I can't do a dang stream without somebody asking me, what's the next album coming? Uh, what a lot of bands have luxury of having, if you want to call it luxury, I don't really consider that, is that when they're under the labels, they have they have labels that do essentially everything else other than make the actual music. In some cases, they said they're able to do that too, considering who the producers are. With us, because we're unsigned and we're so passionate about remaining that way, we have to do everything that you think a label would do. So when it comes to not just laying a foundation for the record, which we're still kind of laying that foundation with the music itself, we have to plan everything out from the tours, 
from the um, promotional schemes that we're going to have when it comes to putting the record out, uh, the release dates, all of that sort of stuff, how it, you know, uh, CDs, uh, merchandise, everything that is centered around that, that a label would have a bunch of people helping them out with, we do that on our own. So it takes obviously a little more time, which I think people would have liked to see us on a schedule where we're dropping an album every other year or something like that. We're not really able to have that schedule because we're so stubborn about keeping it in house. All right. I got that. I got that. I totally understand that. I did an an episode with uh, another musician where they left their label and they Mm -hmm. couldn't be, they couldn't be happier about how it's gone. But if you got to plan a tour, like, you know, you got to, it seems like a pain in the neck. Like I was thinking like these big bands, I mean, obviously they have somebody uh, planning their tours, but I mean, you gotta, you gotta make it work so that it makes sense geographically that one thing is to the east of the next, but there has to be an available venue at that time. I mean, it would like, you would need a computer. Yeah, to yeah. It, all out. It, it is. It is. Uh, that's and that's again. That's part of it. It's like who else is going on the road that plays your type of music? Like this, if, if there's a band that's though, there's not a whole lot of bands that are very similar, but we do appeal to a lot of the same crowds. Are they are they going to be touring around the same time? What venue are they going to be at the same venue? Uh, do we want to risk that being over that on that side because maybe people won't want to come out to see us? But like you have to take all of that stuff into consideration. Yeah. And uh, you have you know you have uh, people that like booking agencies that can help you out with a lot of that stuff. But certainly when you're unsigned and you're trying to, you're trying to map some of that stuff out, it can be very, very difficult. Uh, but it does take a lot of time and we're just being careful because we do build for like the sophomore album is very important considering that we had so much success with the first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I first of all, when, when it comes out, you got to come back on. We'll oh, yeah. promote it, do it. And, yeah. Get the word out about much it. But you, you're going to come to Florida. Oh yeah, that's uh, it's a lot of places actually that we didn't touch on, considering that all the tours that we did on the last record, and Florida was one. So uh, we we got to get there. Um, there's a lot of places in the southeast region that we never touched. We got pretty much everywhere else, but we didn't really go out that way. We were more so when we leave Texas, we were going west, or we were going. Uh, sort of northeast, but we didn't really hit a lot of the southeast parts. We did get like Kentucky and and stuff like that. We've done some of the Carolinas, but we didn't get to Georgia or Florida um, out there. And I would love to to hit that stuff this upcoming uh, well, whenever the first tour is. All right, because I am looking forward to being the oldest guy at that show. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be surprised. You would be oh, surprised, yeah? man. Some of those older guys, man. I would know, like seriously, definitely because of who we appeal to. I mean, we we get some of these guys that are older guys that are throwing. I mean, they're metal guys for life, but they're older and they're throwing down in that pit, man. So don't right. be surprised. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, I will be pleasantly surprised if that's the case. Uh, all right, let's let's stick on politics for a minute. Has yep. there been any way that your very open politics has hurt you guys? I would say it depends on what way that you look at it. Uh, objectively speaking, you have to understand that, yes, um, people see you in a certain light, certainly when there's a political monopoly on everything art, but certainly in our genre where it's just top to bottom uh, mainstream leftism. Right. Um, And us being so against that, certainly me being so against that, but also being smart enough. And I think this frustrates a lot of these people because, look, man, the reality is that artists 
you shouldn't be really getting a lot of your political opinions from them because a lot of them don't know what in the world they're talking about. That's just the honest to God truth. They don't know what they're talking about in my experience. Uh, it's unfortunate because I see guys that are within my scene on the internet talking about things. So like these guys go virtually unchallenged, man. Um, and they, but they don't know what they're talking about. And I actually did a video on this talking about how I get asked, like, hey, man, why don't you appear on some of these sort of, aside from the music stuff, appear on some of the maybe more leftist dominated mediums. And I was like, they don't invite me. It's not because I won't do it. It's because they don't invite me. Right. Uh, they don't they don't invite me like, yes, you'll see me on Fox. You see me on The Blaze and you'll see me on these podcasts that that are outside of libertarian uh, outside of libertarianism, but are more so like conservative. And I was like, because they'll at least invite me to come talk, even if they agree with me, like and they've never tried to. You know, I showed, showed up on a blaze so many times, been panelists on the blaze uh, with Glenn Beck and so forth. And none of those guys have ever, even though they know I'm coming to disagree on some of these topics, they've never been like, hey, man, could you tone it down if you're going to come on our show? But the other to- uh, guys on the uh, opposite end of them, if you want to consider the opposite end, but the guys uh, that are more so with the mainstream leftists, they don't ever invite me. So that's why I don't. And it, it to me, it's a little frustrating because they do have these this sort of protected bubble that a lot of these artists are in. That goes virtually unchallenged. There's no alternative sort of approach um, that they have to actually defend themselves, right? They have to actually know what they're talking about. So with that being said, I think that's just really indicative of, of where we're at. And, and yeah, you're going to take that hit. You're going to take that hit if you're an artist, certainly in, doing any sort of like punk or metal, uh, more so metal core. I think metal at least has a lot of straight metal guys, um, ha- has a lot more guys that are, you know, open to to different sort of politics, but certainly in my in my subgenre, not at all. But you do take a hit. Um, I, I see comments and stuff, people saying things about us. Oh man, those guys' politics. I did a cover. I did a cover uh, with a good friend of mine named Lauren. Uh, we covered a, a song. It got like a million. Right now, I believe it's almost. It maybe at like fifth, like maybe a million five hundred thousand uh, views on YouTube. Uh, cover that we did last month, I believe. So it really got out there. And I was seeing some of the comments, not everybody to be fair, but some of the comments, oh, I'm so surprised Lauren did this cover with him considering his politics. And they're saying weird stuff like that. But that's because we're such an outlier. That's like the first thing people know. So it does take a you take a hit. But in the same respects, I believe I do get some supporters that do like us for us um, and they feel like we're a breath of fresh air in our genre because of that. So I think we get supporters, but we also lose not necessarily lose supporters, but people are, I guess, turned off by the fact that we're we're at open libertarians and, again, also smart enough to defend our positions. So I think that frustrates them. This is just a curiosity question on my part. Do metal vocalists have any vocal techniques they use so, to preserve their voices? Yeah. It's, it's really harsh uh, yeah. vocals you're doing sometimes, and you could, it seems like you could kill yourself vocally. Absolutely, and I think that's um, – <laughs> I was uh, I have a physical therapist that I go to and I was talking to this guy that was there about that. And he was like he he said that he didn't like metal. Me and my actual physical therapist was talking. He was like, I didn't like this. He's like, yeah, man, I feel like I, anybody could do that. And I was like I was looking at him and my physical therapist was looking at him, too. It's like, dude, I don't think you really understand the talent that goes into knowing how to scream properly, for example, um, and even the more harsher singing, like that is a talent. That is something that you have to work out. You will 
blow your voice out. You were a little, I've seen so many stories of people screaming wrong, for example, and like ripping their vocal cords. Like that's an actual thing. Not everybody can do it. You may can do it for, for a minute, but you'll kill yourself if you do it the wrong way. So it is a talent. There's actual technique to it. And even myself, I've had to, I've had to learn to not only preserve my my uh, my voice, but to put on a better show. Because as you're doing longer shows, you're putting that, you're doing those harsher vocals. If you're not singing and you're not screaming properly, um, you, you know you can mess up your voice, but also you can kill your fatigue long term when it comes to not even just doing that one show. But you know if you're on the tour, you got to do it the next day. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a technique to it. And I, even me, I'm always learning new things to make my show, make it easier on myself because there's, there's, there is a technique and the best metal vocalists in the game are the ones that have absolutely mastered it. All right, let's take a quick break. Then I've got some uh, even juicier things to ask you. All right, folks, I'm about to pull you out of your comfort zone a little bit, but maybe your comfort zone has become a prison. You may hear the word meditation and you think, oh, that's kind of woo-woo, or maybe that works for other people, but it wouldn't work for me. Well, why don't you try it? You don't have to sit in a lotus position with your eyes closed in a silent room. You don't need to devote half an hour to it. You can do five-minute meditations with Simple Habit, a fantastic meditation app. And this is not just abstract. These are meditations to help you with specific problems in your life. So maybe you're running into parenting issues or you're nervous about something going on at work or whatever. These are eminently practical meditations that can be done by busy people. And if it doesn't do anything for you, then say, Woods, you're a bum. This was not a good use of my time. I highly doubt that's what you're going to say. You're going to say, Woods, I am shocked at the difference in my quality of life just by doing this. Simple Habit has hundreds of meditations for free and thousands with the premium membership. Well, my listeners can take 30% off that premium membership when they go to simplehabit.com slash woods. Get 30% off a premium subscription to Simple Habit when you go to simplehabit.com slash woods. Last time you were on with me, maybe two times ago, you said that reading Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell really changed the way you looked at the world. What did you learn from them? And is there anything, if you had the chance, you would ask them? Oh, man. It's so much has changed in that couple of years, believe it or not. I finally met Walter E. Williams uh, at SMU. And to be able to tell him and, and obviously look him in the eye and just tell him like what he's meant, certainly in terms of my influence, it was it was awesome. And it was funny. I tell this story all the time now and how I'm at this venue at SMU. And I was in the back and after the show ended, you know, people were going up front trying to talk to Walter Williams after he had did his uh, speaking engagement. And I and I'm walking down the aisle and so many people are like trying to get to me. Hey, that's Eric July uh, taking pictures. I'm like, dude, I'm not the star of this of this <laughs> show. So how it's funny, like how they were seeing me is how I see Walter Williams. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to meet this this guy that has been such an influence uh, 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 on me. So. I did finally get to meet him and I, and I did tell him of what it meant to me. And, and what that is, is that reading his approach when it came to just just markets, but in libertarianism as well. And like the state against blacks, for example, Walter Williams, like you could look at some of even the more legitimate gripes that you even see that maybe you that come from like these predominantly black organizations and stuff. What Walter was able to do was make sense of it all. but make sure that the focus is on the right thing. Even if you diagnose the problem, the solution more so 
is where people get it wrong. And he was looking at, let's look at how the state has utterly destroyed some of these communities. Uh, let's see how it affects like minimum wage and how it has historically affect young black uh, individuals who are going to these rotten schools that can't, you know, they're not going to get that talent or, or gain that skill set more so in, in school. So they have to get a job. And what minimum wage does is price them out the market. So to hear it explained like that was something I had never I had never heard. Um, so even looking at, you know, poor young black people or looking at young black folks like myself that, that were trying to gain skills and looking at markets and how the state was more so being used to to hinder us as opposed to looking at some boogie boogie man white person. It was it was an interesting aspect and more so with from just straight economics with Thomas Sowell. He just made sense of it all without having to use diagrams and math and, and the, you know, the stuff that you get maybe along the Keynesian side of things. Uh, it, 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 it's, it was just mind blowing to me, like to read basic economics, even the first page. And I felt like I got it. Like even the first, first sort of chapter, uh, uh, basic economics in which he's basically explaining scarcity. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean it, like that, that? It makes so much sense. So they obviously both of them led me down the rabbit hole, but I don't even go down that rabbit hole if it's not for, for Walter E. Williams, Dr. Walter E. Williams and Dr. Thomas Sewell. All right, one more political thing. People want to know the answer to, uh, and it's um, I, I group these two questions together. What's your opinion of Malcolm X, and what's your opinion of black nationalism? Oh man, see, Malcolm X is one of the most misunderstood thinkers, and not just on people on the who would see him just as this black militant person, but even people who like to wear Malcolm X on his, on their shirts and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, think that Malcolm X was just, this awesome person. They don't even know really diving into some of what he said. And I gained, as I gained more knowledge about Malcolm X, I've gained such an appreciation, uh, of him and what things that he was saying in his era that certainly go, you know, they, they apply now. Not just on the obvious, which you know, white liberalism and 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 stuff, but not even just that. But he was leading the charge, as opposed to what Martin Luther King Jr., for example, was. He was more of an integrationist, as in he was, you know, praising sit-ins and stuff like that. And Malcolm X was like, "Look, dude, instead of trying to look to get access to these guys and their resources." If these leaders are such geniuses, they should be able to teach us and teach these communities how to create for themselves. And that message was obviously something that not only cares pre-Mecca, post-Mecca, it was still the same uh, same Malcolm, even when he sort of left more of the, I guess, the more militant nation of Islam and such, right? When he was more so post, he was still had, he still had those ideals and those are so relevant even to this day. I would argue even more so relevant to this day because we, we, we see that to this day. And so it's funny when I see people like with Colin Kaepernick and 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 everybody's talking about owners should be bringing him in as a backup quarterback or as a starting quarterback more. So he's so talented. And I and I always look back at at what some of the things that Malcolm X said. And I think Malcolm X would have been laughing at them championing that. It's like, dude, if 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 black folks run this league, why aren't black black folks creating their own like football leagues? Uh if that if we do feel like we're being put out, you know, economically speaking, why don't we just create our own? And I think that's a valuable lesson that 
can obviously cross over, I guess, into not just black folks, right, into, into different ethnic backgrounds. But even when it comes to white folks, a great quote, I posted this on my Twitter the other day, in which Malcolm X was talking about, uh, and uh, like I think a lot of people just look at, oh, he hated white people. And it wasn't it wasn't like that. I and mean, there's a quote where Malcolm was like, if a white person puts his arm around me voluntarily, that's brotherhood. But if you hold a gun to him and make him embrace me, that's not brotherhood. That's hypocrisy. And it just really highlights how it was never about. And certainly when he got to understand it even more, it was never really about with Malcolm just hating white people or anything like that. It was more so about, look. Um, we we see that, you know, governments and states and there's these individual, there are these individual white people that are really aggressive uh, towards us. But I want blacks to be able to be self-sufficient. I want blacks to be able to create, you know, for themselves. This doesn't mean that I hate white people in the process. I'm willing to work with white folks uh, if it's voluntarily, but you don't hold no gun to them and, and force them to embrace me because all that does is create more conflict. And again, I think that stuff is still relevant to this day. All right, let's switch over to another topic that comes up when I mention the name Eric July. Because people watch your videos mm -hmm. and they know what interests you and what gets you worked up and so on and so forth. And I don't know really much of anything about the world of comics. I mean, I know about what any average person would know and, and no more. But apparently, one thing I have learned is that there is some ideological controversy going on Ooh. in that world with the social justice warrior influx what does that consist of? Because I've heard even some left libertarians try to say, oh, this is just the typical, you know, right wing intolerance and there is no SJW infiltration. It's all in your head. What's really going on with that? They, they are out of their minds. If they if that's their position, they are lying. <laughs> they are, they are literal. That's a literal lie. Like, no, it's bad this time, this time around. It is bad. And what we're seeing, it's more so people are seeming to use the the comic books. Certainly when you talk mainstream comics, more so Marvel than DC, but you can include DC in it, is that they're using the comics as an extension of their activism. And that's why you're seeing such a backlash because people are tired of it because it's so on the nose and they're also taking characters that shouldn't act like that and putting them in storylines like that. And, and that's the problem that people are having, like a great Stan Lee quote um, he, he is along the lines of that, you know, if he, he always puts, he said he always wanted to put social issues underlaying the plot, but he never wanted to feel like he was beating a reader over the head with it. Um, and that's, I, I feel like a lot of writers when it comes to comic books have completely ignored that. Or they're like, yeah, no, no, we're going to beat you over the head because they feel like it's their obligation to do it. Because again, it's an extension of their activism. For example, Greg Rucker, is a writer. He writes the, and you know, he's been writing comic books and he wasn't always like this. And he writes the Lois Lane, Lois Lane issue number one. And he has Lois Lane basically grilling who is what looks to be, you know, former White House um, press um, secretary, Sarah Sanders. And she's grilling her on like, what is it? refugee camps and, and 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 stuff of that nature. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm reading CNN, like in, in comic book form. What is this? What What is this? And I was like, all right, let me go look up Greg Rucker real quick. I haven't followed this guy at all uh, in terms of his politics. And then I look on his Twitter and he has like this 45 uh, that looks like a Nazi symbol with like a circle and a dash uh, red X between it sort of. 
uh, obviously represent Donald Trump. And I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. These guys are predictable. They're so predictable. It's so on the nose. And to to act like it was always the case is a lie. I know one of the biggest lies in in comic books is like X-Men. Like they, those types always like the signal to the X-Men. Well, if you don't like your social issues and in, uh, in politics, what do you do? What about the X-Men? It's like X-Men not only proves their ideas to the contrary, but the, they're basing X-Men on a lie. And that is a lot of people assume that Professor X and Magneto, for example, were created to be representative of Martin Luther King Jr. as well as Malcolm X. And that's just a lie. I have a video where I go through like Stan Lee's exact ideas behind the creation of the characters, and it had nothing to do with it. It had nothing to do with that. But even if we assumed that, let's say, the mutants were, were metaphors for, I don't know, disenfranchised black people, that proves their ideas to the contrary because it's not on the nose like that. Like they're obviously mutants, and that could be a relation to everybody. Like you, black folks aren't the only people that feel, you know, this and maybe have felt disenfranchised at the time that the X Men were created. So even if we assume that to be true, it's the opposite of what was go- what's going down now, where it's predictable and it's just a direct <laughs> representation of what they, uh, the, the, whatever the talking point is, and it's in comics, and it's ruining ruining a lot of these characters and these comic books because again. People are using it as an extension of their of their uh, personal activism. And I think Donald Trump, certainly his election just sent these guys over the edge, man. It sent them over the edge. And and now they're for sure utilizing some of these characters. So for people to say that it's not like that is a it's a lie. Sure, there are books and I talk about them that don't go that route. But there's so many examples in which they are um, where it's really representing the the political points, the social uh, points of the actual writer, and they're just putting it in your face in a comic book. Well, how, how about the gaming world? Uh, first mm. of all, do any of your audiences overlap? Like, if you you do that stuff and you do politics, is it the same people? Some, not. I wouldn't say all. Um, I've done a great job, I think, with my with my YouTube, in which I've I've kind of had a little bit of everything, so people know that it's just a hub for me. But what I have learned is that people that come from, like, let's say, the comic book side, they find out about the music, and he, and, and they or they find out about the political stuff. And even if they weren't on that, they respect the fact that I'm, I'm putting myself out there like that, and they're they're willing to stick around and just learn a lot about it. So I, I always say, if I haven't made somebody angry about some a position that I have, trust me, I'm going to get over to you at some point. Um, considering that everybody comes from different sort of backgrounds because they know me from different things. If you know me from gaming, you know me from comics, you know me from music, you know me from speaking about politics, you're going to know a lot of different, uh, or you're going to know me from those elements. So if you come to my YouTube, for example, you're going to be surprised by some of that stuff because it's not just that, though it is kind of top heavy on the comic books. I talk to, talk about a little bit of everything. So there is some crossover effect, um, but I will say, yes, there's more people that just know me for either one or the other, but they do stick around. Um, you know, nonetheless, what's a day in the life of Eric July like, <laughs> man, um, it's wake up, work out. I wake up really early. I did a video on this, by the way, uh, talking about how, cause I got asked about like, dude, you do 700 things. Like how in the world do you, do you fit all that in a schedule? I work up really, uh, really early. Like, um, on any given day, for example, if I need to go, if I'm going to go play basketball, I wake up at four 30 on that day. And I play basketball. 
And I will then, you know, come back home, eat my, you know, shower up, eat my breakfast. Then I will get to work. You know what I mean? And by work, I mean, I will work on videos. Maybe I, uh, you know, do some comic books or something like that. Read some comic books. I'll write maybe some stuff for the band, depending on what time of the year it is. And then whatever's lingering after the day, I do that. So if I got time to stream, I do that. I got to spend time with the lady. I, I do that. So it's it's a lot, but I think me work waking up early and and I don't waste time. I've been very very efficient with my time, so I don't just sit like for a long extended period of time just filling my thumbs on my phone or something like that. It's always purposeful everything that I do, and and I get to it. So it's uh it's waking up early and just uh, sticking to and being disciplined and sticking to the schedule is, is what it is that I have to do. Otherwise, there's no way that I could do all the things that I do in a given day. Well, if people want to follow the things that you do, what's the what's the quickest way to start doing it? Uh, Eric, I actually had a lot of influence from you, by the way, on this. Um, and obviously, you know, starting my own website and, and having that as a hub for everything me. So obviously, EricDJuly.com, which will lead you to pretty much all of my social media. But Young Ripper 5 now, Y-O-U-N-G-R-I-P-P-A-F-9 is going to be, F9, 5-9 is going to be twitch youtube so so sort of that stuff where you want to see the comic books you want to see me game you can type in that handle anywhere but ericdjuly.com ericdjuly on twitter i'm everywhere so if you just go to my website ericdjuly.com you'll be able to get access and uh, links to every you know bit of my social media all right excellent so i'm going to link to that stuff i'll link to your uh, that site at tomwoods.com slash 1482 and uh, best of luck with everything. Let's talk when the album comes out. And by the way, didn't you say you were going to do a solo rap album? Is that still yes, in the works? Yes, that's, that's actually going to come before the the uh, the back, backwards album. Oh. So that's coming by the end of the year. That's not that, – that will absolutely be the next project, and that will be solo. I know a lot of people are like, hey, man, we want to hear you. We like the rap stuff. May can't get it with the rock stuff, so I'm giving you guys – and it's free. It'll be free. It'll be on all – all um, media platforms such as, you know, Spotify's of the world, iTunes and all that, you'll be able to stream it. However, it will be free of download on my uh, either at backwardsmusic.com or my website. And you'll be able to get it because this is for this is for them. This is a free mixtape. It's it's solo. It's just straight rap. I don't even I'm working. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing it up right now. I don't know how, if I'm even going to do features. I'm like, I should do a feature. But a lot of people want to hear me rap so much. I may not even do features on it. So, uh, yeah, you guys be sure to look out for that because that will drop by the end of this year. Okay, good. I'm glad I remembered to ask, to ask that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you again, maybe at one of your shows. So uh, thanks again, Eric. I appreciate you having me on. All right, folks, before we wrap up for the week, I hope you enjoyed Eric July, by the way. He's always great to talk to. I want to tell you about the Indian Liberty Report. So this is the first thing, and then I have a second thing I want to tell you. This is created by Tom Wood Show listeners, and it's at IndianLibertyReport.com. It's a news site from India covering national and regional news from a libertarian angle. Wide range of topics, economics, technology, national, regional politics, etc. And it takes its inspiration from the rapid growth of Misesianism in Brazil, and they're hoping to see the same kind of thing develop in India. So please check that out, especially if you obviously live in India or are from India – they're looking to make contact with you. But really anybody who has any interest in India or libertarianism is obviously welcome. Uh, so check it out at IndianLibertyReport.com, linking to it at TomWoods.com slash 1482. And you remember my usual thing, 
the big thing you worry about when you start a website is that tumbleweeds are going to go by. There's going to be nobody there visiting it. Well, I'll help you get some targeted traffic uh, if you get your web hosting through my link. So get the details on how to do that at tomwoods.com slash publicity. Second thing to tell you about, I have a bonus episode coming up this weekend. It may be my favorite bonus episode ever. I managed to get the number one, as in the top guy in the world, literally the top guy in the entire world in affiliate marketing. I mean, so this is a guy who has taken something that some people just do randomly and haphazardly and made it into such a science that he's the best in the world at it. So yeah, you think I want to talk to that guy? Obviously. So we're going to talk to him. Unapologetic capitalism coming your way this weekend in episode 1483. Thanks for listening. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.